Hey gang, thanks for coming and being a part of uh, Counterpoint. My name is Blake Holmes. I have the privilege of being the equipping pastor here at Watermark, which is a, just a fancy way of saying I have what I think is the best job in the world and uh, pointing people to the truth of scripture and uh, how it applies to our everyday lives. This is just a real treat for me. Kelly Shackford um, has been a longtime friend of mine who I've known since I was in high school. I'm sure he can remember and tell you stories about me that I'd hope he would forget. And uh, But it's just been fun to watch how the Lord used him and just how he's uh, gifted him and just Kelly's faithfulness over the years. And so as my team and some of us were talking about providing a counterpoint where we could come just have an honest discussion about uh, the church's role in the election process and the role of government and a biblical worldview of of government, uh, Kelly was the, the first to come to mind. I'm really excited he could take the time out of a really busy schedule and come and be a part of this. As you walked in, hopefully you um, picked up this little brochure, two handouts, this little, this little brochure tells you about the Liberty Institute, which um, Kelly is the CEO of, and um, you also got a little card that will give you an opportunity to connect with Kelly and his group and to learn more about what they do, how you can um, learn more about that, and also support them. Kelly is a constitutional scholar who has argued before the United States Supreme Court, testified before the U.S. House and Senate on constitutional constitutional issues, and has won three state landmark First Amendment and religious liberty cases. He was recently named one of the 25 greatest Texas lawyers of the past quarter century by Texas Lawyer, and is the recipient of the prestigious William Bentley Ball Award for Life and Religious Freedom Defense for his leadership and pioneering work protecting religious freedom. Kelly is a highly sought-after speaker and frequent guest on national TV news and talk show programs. Many are listed here, of which you would all know. And um, he's also on the board of trustees of the United States Supreme Court Historical Society. And my favorite is a graduate of Baylor University. All right? <laughs> so, um, which is a true sign of genius right there. That's right. So, hey, I'm going to pray for our time. We are going to cover, there's a, there's a long list of subjects here. One of the things I love about... Um, doing something like this is it gives all of us just a chance to gather and discuss important topics. But to try to do that in an hour, realistically, we could do this over the course of months, right? And so um, what we want to do is we want to introduce several subjects to you, let you hear from a guy who really is a, an expert in, in this area uh, in law and has a great um, understanding as well of, of scripture and theology. And just let you hear from him. Um, obviously, we're not going to be able to cover all these subjects, but some that I have listed that, I, that we're going to throw out there is just the role of government, um, the economy and federal deficit, healthcare, education, national security, immigration, freedom of speech, um, some of the social topics that are important in this election around abortion and gay marriage and all those things. So I'm going to throw all these out there to him, um, and we'll have plenty to talk about. Unfortunately, in an hour, probably won't have time to open up the room for questions. But um, again, if you want to know more about what Kelly does, there's um, a ton of information on the web that you can find out. You can use this brochure, and you can connect with him with this little handout. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to get started, okay? Well, Lord in heaven, I, I want to thank you for uh, my friend Kelly. I thank you, Father, that he would take time out of a, a busy schedule to come and uh, just share with us um, what your scripture has to say about the role of government. And uh, Father, thank you for his expertise in law. And Father, how you have gifted him and 
uh, discipline him to, to study and know your word and also just to be able to reflect and be used um, out there in uh, the public square and to be able to articulate truth and defend religious freedom in a way which is persuasive and godly and winsome. I pray, Father, just for your hand on his family, uh, his ministry, and our time together. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, Kelly, thank you for um, coming. I appreciate it. This is fun to reconnect with you. As I said, Kelly knew me back in high school when I was running around and a little afraid that maybe Todd told him to share some stories about me, but I'll work on that later on. But um, You I just weren't wanna... the problem. It was the other K-Life leader I was working with, this Todd Wagner Yeah, guy. that's right, Todd Wagner. a lot more trouble. We could tell some Todd Wagner yeah, stories. Yeah, we could. <laughs> this is being taped, and I don't want to keep my job. Um, but let, let's just start, Kelly, just big picture-wise, just the, the role of government, okay? So I, I, I want to ask you, according to the Bible, uh, what is the role and purpose of government? And then... My follow-up is going to be, I want you to compare this to what the U.S. Constitution says the purpose of government is. Um, well, I mean, in the simplest form, the, the, the role of government is to restrain evil. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I've, I, and I've asked a lot of pastors this, but I think there are three institutions in Scripture that God creates. Mm-hmm. Um, he creates marriage, he creates the church, and he creates government. Mm-hmm. And I bet most of us have heard sermons on two of the three of those. Right. <laughs> but we don't hear a lot of sermons on the other. And I think it's really a shame. Uh, we should. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something God created. Um, what, what's so great about this country is we were actually founded upon these biblical principles. Mm-hmm. And our founders thought, I mean, really extensively. Uh, they studied all the other uh, systems that were used. They... And so when they built our system, they actually, there's incredible biblical principles that are interlaid throughout what we do. And so when you ask that question, what is the role of government? One of the first things I think after I think of scripture and things like, you know, Romans 13, et cetera, is I immediately go to the Declaration of Independence. Hmm. Where if you, if you pay attention to the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, it, it essentially says, everybody knows we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. Um, what people don't do is then connect the next, and it says, essentially, because we were given these God-given rights, government is instituted to protect them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of government is to restrain evil and to protect those God-given rights that God gave us. Uh, and these are rights we have to have if we're going to live out our God-given responsibilities. And, and where do you see the first example of government in Scripture? Um, well, I mean, you know, you could, you could argue... Um, you know, as soon as you have more than one person, <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I mean, right. there's a, a necessity for governing it together. And- but uh, um, but it's it's just um, there's a need, um, and there's a, boy, there's just so many books and things. I think of of uh, uh, there's a little book that a lot of people read called The Law by Bastiat, hmm. and it's so good hmm. at getting into human nature. And how really the purpose of government, and this is the danger, sort of the flip side, it can be misused. Mm. Um, the purpose of government is really to protect liberty and to restrain evil. And But what happens, what can tend to happen if you're not careful is people try to use the government to actually, you know, do the very opposite of that. Right, right. To take people's property and possessions that it doesn't have a right to, to for the sake of other people. Mm. And, you know... 
that's so that's evil in and of itself, and yet the government is really there to restrain evil. So it can be misused. Um, and another thing that, uh, again, I, there's so many issues you can go in here, but l- the limiting of government is therefore very important, something our founders thought was very important. Uh, that government has a proper role, but it, it, if it grows, it tends to subvert things that God intended. It, tend to, it tends to, for instance, take the role of the church. It takes responsibility that the individual should have. Um, and it begins to pervert God's created order. Hmm. So um, what you have to watch for is the proper uh, role of government and not using it for other things that might even, and this is the temptation for Christians, hmm. that sound very good. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. good goals. And this is, I was reading a book uh, just the other day about some other topics, and in the process, there were a number of things about in the early 1900s in this country uh, about socialism Hmm. and how a lot of the people behind it were Christians who thought, you know, this thing going on in the Soviet Union was like the new wave. It was the real Christian deal. It was going to make sure that everybody, you know, was blessed equally and, mm-hmm. and everybody was going to share. And there was all these things that sounded really Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, ultimately, I think we, we now have seen these, these things be tested out. Mm-hmm. And they don't work too well yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they really don't understand our, our human nature, how God created us. Uh, they don't understand. There's just a, a lot of things that in Scripture it misapprehends. And I would say the two main things it misapprehends are that we have a sinful nature um, and yet that we are created by God and, their, and, and His image. And therefore, we have this creative skill in ourselves those two things tell you that um, if you have a system that says everybody work really hard and we're going to give you the same, it's not going to work mm-hmm. uh, because we need different incentives than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so what you need is something more like capitalism where the people who actually succeed the most are the people who serve the best. Mm. Um, you know, it, it channels your selfish interest into serving others. Mm-hmm. And it rewards um, and actually, you know, makes you work harder. And we were talking at, at lunch real quick, and I don't want to bring everybody in this long conversation, but about a little contest our school was in, um, uh, my little Christian school over uh, at Coles. They had a contest which the most votes you got on Facebook, you could get a $500,000 check. And 20 schools got this. One of the fascinating things about this to me was in the first, it was a 60-day contest. In the first 30 days, you couldn't see your competitor. Um, in the last 30 days, you could. Every day, they updated the totals as you were watching things move. At the end of 30 days, the number one school in the country that was in the top 20, we're all going to get $500,000. The number one school had 6,500 votes. Okay, And then the next 30 days were going to be, you can see your competition. Okay, I thought I was really smart, and I told my school, I said, you watched the... the that creative spirit, that free market, you know, idea now of seeing your competition. I said, you think that the final winner is just going to have 13,000 votes? I said, it's going to, it's not, it's going to be like 30,000 votes. Well, I was wrong. It was 165,000 votes. <laughs> because what happened is when people could see their competition, they said, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. I bet I can do something better. And just that creative spirit that God gives us, we're made in His, his image. 
just the things that people would come up with was mm-hmm. just incredible. And by the end, it was just getting better and better and better. And uh, it was hard to keep up. By the end, our school was having to get on TV to get enough votes. You know, it was like having to, the news has to cover us or else we can't keep up with the other but schools. But you won. Well, we got number two in the country <laughs> and got $500,000 for this little Christian school that had no business winning. But it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's an example that there are certain ways God created us that Scripture affirms to, and if we build systems and things that that honor that, everybody gets blessed much more. But if we if we think that the government is the answer, and we we try to make the government the vehicle for all good things that we think are good, and it's very easy to fall in that trap, you actually destroy a lot of these things and so, it causes a lot of suffering, and a lot of harm. So that brings up my next question, actually, because I heard you say, "Hey." The role of government is to restrain evil. It's also to protect liberty, right? Mm-hmm. But you said it, it can, it can um, also go too far. And so the, the phrase that perhaps all of us have heard many times is the whole idea of separation of church and state. So explain that idea of the separation of church and state, and where does this come from, and what specifically, what issues are at stake for believers when the lines between church and state are, are blurred? Um, the term separation of church and state is, uh, is actually, um, it's not in the Constitution. Um, a lot of people are misinformed about that. What our uh, First Amendment says is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The establishment of religion is where that focus is on, we don't want the government establishing religion because then it, it ends up um, you know, telling you where you can go to church, you know, mm-hmm. saying this is the official church, this is what you have to do, it ends up restricting your free exercise. So it's state religion. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the real purpose of the religion clauses was to provide for the fullest and freest exercise of, of everyone's faith as possible. Hmm. Um, that was the purpose. Separation of church and state as a concept is actually a biblical concept. It's a concept that says, if it was properly used, it's been perverted now, but Mm -hmm. the original concept was that God created these institutions, the institution of the family, the institution of the church, the institution of government, and that it's wrong, it's unbiblical to have, you know, the church doing the government's job, the government doing the church's job. I mean, that essentially they need to be in their proper role. Mm And that was the concept that uh, that you didn't want uh, a subversion of God's created you know purposes for those mm-hmm. things. Um, but that's we've gone way past that now. What happens now is groups use it uh, mainly atheist groups and secular humanist groups use the concept separation church and state to try to push religion away. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they say they, they kind of have a uh, I don't know, a a very wooden sort of fundamentalist separation of church and state extremism. Mm -hmm. And they say anywhere government is, religion can't be there. Well, government is everywhere now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what that means is you can have your religion in in your church here on Sunday and in your homes. It's privatized. Yeah, but nowhere else. Mm -hmm. And so they use it as as an attack. And it was never really meant that way. It was discussed. And most of the times you'll see it brought up it has nothing to do with the institution of the church and the government. Mm-hmm. It almost always is it's some kid praying at some school event or it, it, please tell me what church this is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. So they use this term to try to 
you know, really argue for all kinds of things that the Constitution never says, the founders would have never been in favor of, and that the term itself never even meant. Okay. Uh, so usually they're perverting it. Now, a proper use would be, for instance, the case we had uh, at the Texas Supreme Court a number of years ago. And what's funny is when we had that, the normal sort of more liberal groups that are supposedly separation of church and state, they were silent <laughs> in this case. And this is when the state of Texas actually took over the control of seminaries. Hmm. Now, there is a violation of the concept of the separation of church and state. The, the government can't tell uh, seminaries how to train pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, you know, number one, you know, they just don't have any competence in that area. They, they, they can't do that. But constitutionally, they can't do that. They can't tell you, here's a good pastor training and here's a bad pastor training. But yet, that's what they had done. They had taken it over where you could not be, a, you could not call yourself a seminary in Texas unless you got state approval of your curriculum, your board, and your professors. And uh, our client in that suit was uh, fined $173,000 for issuing 34 diplomas in the Bible without government approval. And uh, now that's a, a that's a real use of the concept. You have the institution of the church, which the seminary is the training for pastors in the church, and and the government. And that would be where that would actually come in play. But most of what you see today is really what they should say is we want religion banned from the public because that's what they're when they use separation church and state they're misusing it and they use it to try to say religion can't be allowed. So. Um, you made the argument of how government can kind of go overboard. Right. And um, I'm curious then, what what role then should the church play in its relationship with government, and specifically in the election process? Because it, too, um, can also overextend its its reach, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't want any church, you know, in charge of the government. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a there's a difference between the church and people of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church has a huge role, and I mean, you know, I was meeting with a pastor of a major and, and the associate pastor of a major church uh, this, that's actually in this area a few years ago, and I was just challenging them that they never in their in their Sunday they they never would talk about any of these issues, and I said I finally said look I. I'm not trying to politicize or get you to get into politics or any of this. I said, this is about bringing the Bible. I said, what what you're supposed to do is bring the Bible to bear mm-hmm. towards every area of life. How I can be a better father, how I can be a better businessman, you know, how do, how do, how do we interact with uh, the Bible, with business, with life, with, and how do, how do we interact with our government? Mm-hmm. And they, the associate pastor looked at me and said, I have never thought of that mm-hmm. in that way. And I think so. I think uh, very little of that occurs. But I mean, every pastor in this you know area, I think this weekend or last weekend or whatever, should be talking about how a Christian goes in the voting booth. You know what the Bible says and and what our responsibilities are. They should talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries that don't have the freedom that we were given mm-hmm. to choose evil or good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's that's the most quoted verse from the founders. Mm. Um, that when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, when the wicked rule, the people groan. Mm-hmm. Because they understood how special and how, how not the norm mm-hmm. it was that we actually get to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, as you, you and I know, I mean, most of our brothers and sisters don't even, don't even vote. 
So, so, so Kelly, is the reason why most pastors don't speak on this topic, are they either ill-equipped, uninformed, uh, cowardly? I mean, what, what is the reason? I mean, the, the role of the pastor is to equip people to biblical worldview, and that includes... I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. I you know, I've I've seen I think part of it is it's it's not talked about. They they don't feel like they have the information, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that that's something they hadn't studied as much. Uh part of it is for sure that they don't want to you know, step on toes. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I don't know. Uh but I know that it's not it's not right. We need pastors and we need churches to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't speak the truth, then who who is going to speak the truth? So, um, and again, it's not a matter of making any church a part of any party or any mm-hmm. sort of. But to speak to the issues, um, there's a big battle going on right now in Minnesota. Uh, there's four states that are voting on what the definition of marriage is right now. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of them: Washington, Maine. Minnesota and one other state. I'm forgetting what it is right now. But uh, uh, Minnesota, a couple of major pastors out there came out publicly and said uh, that they weren't going to take a side mm. because that was a vote that was coming up. Mm-hmm. You're not going to take a side on what the definition of marriage is? Uh, you know, I'm like, if, if you can't take a side on the first institution in Scripture that God created, then I wonder, what are you willing to speak out on? Yeah. So there's there's clearly some confusion, um, and uh, and I think we all suffer as a society when pastors aren't that prophetic voice that needs to speak the truth and put the standard of righteousness there in all areas of life. Nothing is off limits. Mm-hmm. Hollywood's not off limits. Mm-hmm. The movies, uh, you know, nothing. I mean, that's the thing about Christ is he engages everything. Mm-hmm. And, and changes everything. And so we can't say that this little area is an area we're not going to touch. So <clears throat> much is made within the church about a particular candidate's religious beliefs. So I want to focus on that for a second. Should a candidate's religious beliefs impact my, my vote? Um, and what do I do if both candidates espouse a viewpoint that I think is inconsistent with Scripture? Um, well, what religious belief means is is something we had to play out a little bit. In other words, if if some people refer to that just as salvation, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a, a wrong analysis when it comes to electing someone in office, um, because the importance in office is not their understanding of salvation; it's where they are going to stand on the policy issues. That will affect millions and millions of people. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember somebody telling me, for instance, uh, "Well, who are you for? Are you for the guy with a number of divorces?" And and they started listing all these things in his life. Are you are you for the guy who's the evangelical born again Christian? And what they were describing was Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And of course, they knew that I kind of liked Reagan better than Carter, and yet the description of him wasn't so flattering. Uh, right. right. Um, and you you look more to the, but what you have to do is look more to the policies. Uh, that they're going to do. Well, I mean, you know, if I if I'm electing a surgeon, you know, I want to know are they a good surgeon. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know what are they, what am I electing, and, and what is going to impact me, and how they're going to impact society. And the thing about uh, politics that uh, people forget a lot. I mean, you know, if I had to ask anybody in a church, do you think it's important as Christians for us to have a, a positive impact with the poor? They would say yes. You know, so, so it's good for me to help one poor person, yes. 
well, then shouldn't I try to elect somebody who's going to help millions of poor people? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, a lot of the things that we care about in a one-to-one relationship will be impacted by who we elect. Right. And so we do have a real responsibility to try to, you know, when we our goal is to represent Christ in every area of life. And that includes when we walk in the voting booth. Mm-hmm. And so this is the kind of thing I think pastors should start doing is, okay, that should be obvious. But then the question then is, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's a matter of Christians taking the issues um, that that office reflects and prioritizing biblically what we think the Lord would prioritize. Mm-hmm. For instance, if I've got two candidates and one is going to save me a thousand dollars, but one but the the opponent is going to save fifty lives, who do I choose? Mm-hmm. I think I choose the one that's going to save 50 lives mm-hmm. versus the one who's going to give me an extra $1,000. And so we have to have a priority of those things, and we have to weigh those things in picking a candidate um, that most reflects what we think the Lord would want us to do when we represent him. What's the danger, Kelly, of evangelical voters being affiliated with one particular party? Well, it's, there is a danger in, in becoming so affiliated that those parties then don't feel like they have to do anything for that constituency. Right. Um, and, uh, um, and, you know, I think that's a shame. And I, I think that it's good to have, you know, uh, competition right. amongst the parties. You know, right. I want them to go, you know, what I would love one day, for instance, is for both party, both of the major parties, or if there's another party, to be fighting over who can get the most pro-life votes. <laughs> right, okay, right. and so uh, so I'd love for both to be pro-life, and the sort in the uh, the millennialists and the younger generations, the most pro-life generation that we've had. Hmm. And so maybe that'll happen someday. Yeah. I, I hope, but it's very dangerous uh, otherwise because then there's nothing they have to do uh, right. to do that. But at the same time, you can't, you know. If if one party's more right on a number of issues that are the most important, I mean, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to change the other party, but you you know you don't want to elect people that are going to support bad uh, you know moral positions that you can't support. So it's it's a tough uh, it's it's you know question is how you really change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of that's happening. Some of that polarization's happening, and that, and uh, you see that definitely, and you see that you know. Uh, somewhat racially, uh, especially with obviously right now with the uh, African American vote. Mm-hmm. When you have ninety-seven percent of the people vote one way on a on a presidential, it's like, well, what do they have to do for them? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, so there's less accountability for the candidate. Less accountability, and and you know we all need accountability. Uh, good example of that's judges. We elect judges in Texas. Um, some states don't. It's incredible what the studies show about how you pick judges. Um, the best results are when you elect them. You get more work. You get more balanced opinions. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. When you're accountable, you, you, somebody's watching you. You actually put in more work. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually, you know, more balance out what you're doing. Um, and so we all need that. I don't care how good-hearted we are. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners. And we need accountability. And uh, our government was set up for that. So that's a good segue you're, you're mentioning of the judges. So this is obviously an area of her expertise. <clears throat> My question is, how will this election affect the Supreme Court, and what difference will the court's decisions have on evangelicals? I, you know, I don't know if uh, 
I could go so far. I mean, everybody's obviously focusing on the presidential election for the fiscal side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, look, that's an important issue. Uh, and I know we might talk about that later if we have time. I'm happy to. Um, but I think it's, it's maybe equally, um, I mean, the reality is if we're bankrupt and we go into oblivion financially, it won't matter what our freedoms are because, you know, we'll be, we'll be destitute anyway. Mm-hmm. But I really think our freedoms are, are equally in jeopardy, um, and I don't think anybody's paying attention. Hmm. Um, Expand on that. Well, that. And that is because we have a Supreme Court right now that has four uh, liberals, four conservatives, and one who kind of goes back and forth. The next president will almost assuredly appoint at least two justices. Hmm. And when they do that, and the justices that are coming up are the swing person mm-hmm. and uh, probably one of the liberals and probably one of the conservatives. Mm. So the odds are, those are, are the three, uh, the first two will probably come out of. And so the next president is going to pick the direction of the court maybe for the next 20, 30 years. Mm. Um, and, and it's hard to get across to people what that means. Um, there are probably, I mean, there are a myriad of issues that right now the votes are 5-4. And a lot of these things are things that we've had our whole lives that we've assumed that we would always have. Mm-hmm. That with one change of a vote, we'll be gone. Such as? Uh, well, there's, there's four members of the court right now who think that uh, no citizen has a right individually to own a firearm. Hmm. If one more justice is added to that group, that right will no longer exist. Hmm. Um, the, we had a case uh, with a, a veterans memorial that was put up in 1934 um, by World War I vets, and it was a lone cross with a little plaque on the bottom that said, for the dead of all wars. And it sat there for 75 years until the ACLU brought a lawsuit, and unbelievably the Federal Court of Appeals declared this veterans memorial to be unconstitutional because it was a cross and uh, ordered it to be torn down. But while it was on appeal, they ordered that it be covered in a bag and put a chain around the bottom of the bag over this cross. I mean, it's one of the most disturbing sights you've ever seen. We went up to the Supreme Court. We got that reversed. Hmm. Five to four, we got it reversed. So one more vote there, the cross has come down. Hmm. So, But yet on the other side, if you added two uh, justices in the other direction, Roe v. Wade's probably gone. Hmm. So you see how dramatic you can go one direction or another on a lot of these big constitutional issues. So I think, I mean, to me, that's, you know, that's pr- usually this would be more important than any other issue. To me, it's it, with the with the fiscal issue and whether we're going off the cliff and all that, it, mm-hmm. I think it's equal. But which it's an it issue even, that's not being focused on at all. Which makes it even more remarkable that more pastors... Don't make this more of a topic of conversation. They, they should. I mean, you know, again, not that they necessarily should stand up and I'm not saying they should stand up and tell people who to vote for or anything, right. but they should certainly bring the Bible to bear to these issues that are right in front of everybody's face. Right. I mean, we need the pastor's leadership. We need the, we need the Bible to be brought to bear to all these issues of life so that uh, we can do a better job trying to live that out. So we're often told the government should not legislate morality, which is something I'm sure you've heard that idea before respond to this 
respond to that idea. The government shouldn't re- well, legislate morality. I think most people know that's silly. Uh, that's what laws do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when they tell you not to drive 100 miles an hour, that's a legislation of your morality. Mm-hmm. Um, when they tell you not to kill somebody, not to rape somebody, not to, I mean, that's what they all are. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, so this is why it gets back to, so ultimately then the question is, whose morality is going to be legislated? Right. Which and, is where I was going to ask you. <laughs> well, and that's why it's so important that you elect people that represent those moral principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, why the church and Christians should, you really, you know, be, they should be, number one, they should be running for office. Mm-hmm. Uh, but number two, they certainly should be out there voting. And I'll, I'll tell you a couple of examples of this that just, uh, I think are great examples of what's going on out there. I was up at a, I was at a church yesterday speaking at a lunchtime deal like this, uh, with a couple of, uh, guys who ran, oh, that's Ted Cruz, who ran mm-hmm. for state, who's running for state senate, uh, U.S. Senate, and, uh, uh Matt Krause, who, uh, just won a state house. These are both, uh, guys who, who are not only strong believers, but their, their dads are pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this church I was at, uh, I had spoken there about a year ago, and I came back, and one of the guys came up to me and said, you know, I was so convicted by what you said that I ran for office and I'm now in the city council. And the associate pastor is now a state representative. <laughs> and so I was like, well, how awesome to have a state, have a pastor mm-hmm. be a representative mm-hmm. and to be a voice for those moral truths in the midst of what people would consider a pretty dark place at times yeah, absolutely and uh and so that's a great example. now let me tell you the negative example um there was just a big election i i think it if i'm not mistaken i've just forgotten some of the details i'm pretty sure it was in la it was a mayoral election and uh where a guy ran there who was a strong believer and this is i would be pretty incredible in la to have a outspoken believer mm-hmm. and uh he lost by a hundred and I think he lost by 120 votes, mm-hmm. and there were 300 people uh, in his Sunday school class that didn't vote. <laughs> and uh, pretty painful. I thought it's such. I, I can't tell you how often I see that. I see people from churches that these this this individual feels called by God to run. They don't want to run for office. But they feel like I need to be a public servant. I need to put my neck out there on the line, and 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 represent Christ and try to make a difference. I mm-hmm. care for my kids, for my grandkids, whatever. They take their their family out and they go door to door, and they they work twenty four seven doing everything they can, and then their church never even mentions that there's an election, wow. and most of the people in their church don't even go and vote for them. Is it head in the sand. And, uh, and I just think how sad that is, you know, um, that, uh, and, you know, sometimes we go and we don't even know there's somebody from our church that's running for office because of those kind of motives. And we didn't even know. And so I think it's so sad when I see, I, cause I see what these people do and I know what a sacrifice it is for them to do this and they don't get paid in these jobs, especially state jobs. Right, you don't right. get a, a salary, um, of any sort. And uh, I just think that, boy, that's something that we really need to correct. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, one of the things I think is very fascinating, I heard a talk by David Barton, who's a good friend of mine. I know a lot of people here probably know David Barton, the historian. Um, he, he brought up some history that I hadn't seen before, and he said 
back at the time of the founding, what people didn't run for office back then. They would have thought it would have been sort of brash or uh, prideful for them to say, I think I'm good and I should run for office. He said the way it most often happened was, was the church, kind of like with the elders, would look around and say, who has the kind of character and the kind of, you know, has shown themselves that we could trust as in the public trust? And the people from the church would go to them and say, you need to run for office. Mm. And then the church would be behind that person because they know who they are. They know, kind of like in the elders' requirements, they manage their children well. Right, they manage right. their finances well. They, you know. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if that's what started happening mm-hmm. in this country where literally people were called out of the church to go and be ministers in the public service? Right. Um, and the church knew about it and helped and uh, and was behind him, going door to door and helping, and instead of not being registered to vote and not voting and all that. But that's the thing I, you know, we we've talked about before. But all this stuff that goes on in our country could be changed. Not, and I'm not. I mean, a lot of times we think the bad stuff happens because of people who don't know the truth. Really, the bad things happen because the people who know the truth aren't doing what they should be doing. Hmm. And we could change all this stuff so easily if the church just activated and stood for what it knows is true uh, in a loving way. So, um, but what ends up happening is many people in the church see the messiness of politics and are like, I just don't even want to get involved in that. I don't even want to put my family through it. I don't want to jump into that. So um, let me ask you a a different question, and that is changing gears a little bit. If I'm not religious, okay, I'm not a believer, I don't go to church, why should I care about religious freedom? Um, well, the founders call religious freedom our first freedom, um, which is interesting. And uh, people think, well, that's because that's why they came here. That's the one in the First Amendment. Now, I think it's more than that. Um, the founders wrote extensively on the fact that if you don't have religious freedom, you won't have political freedom. Hmm. Um, you know, a government that won't allow you to talk about your faith, about how to live your life now, and about where you go after you die that government will never allow you to criticize the people running the government. Hmm. And, I mean, the one thing a totalitarian government will never allow are people whose allegiance is to one higher than the government. That cannot be permitted in totalitarianism. Hmm. So if you see a government either, you know, a totalitarian government coming in control or just moving that direction, the first thing you will see under attack is religious freedom. Hmm. Um, And... uh, uh, I was looking, I got one of these, I know a lot of people know a Voice of the Martyrs, and I got a, uh, an email from them within the last six months, and I was looking, it was North Korea, and it was showing the labor camps across there. Of course, most of the people in those labor camps never get out alive. Um, but what was fascinating to me is I was reading, I thought, well, who's in these camps? And there were two groups of people in the camps. There were political opponents and Christians. Hmm. And, it, I mean, it clicked with me immediately. Because, again, they, you have to bow the knee to government. Mm-hmm. And these are people that bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And they were the people that couldn't be tolerated. And so what you will see in a society, even if you're... And I, I've had a guy from Czechoslovakia come up to me after one of these talks before. And he said, you know what? I'm not religious, but I grew up in Czechoslovakia. And he said, I'm telling you that what you guys are doing at Liberty Institute is the most important thing anybody is doing in this country. And he wrote me a check for $5,000. He wasn't even Christian. He wasn't religious. He just understood the the impact that religious freedom has. And if you don't have it, 
you, you'll lose everything else. And this, by the way, if people want, might be wondering what this thing is, we did a little report of all the uh, tax going on on religious freedom in the country. And there's about 12 a page. And if you can tell how many, I mean, you know, to me, this is the red light on the dashboard of, of the car saying that the engine's about to blow. Hmm. Um, and uh, the, the acceleration of these attacks is greater than I've ever seen, and I've been doing this for 24 years. So it's religious freedom is really the very core of what this country was built upon, hmm. the reason it was founded, and it, if it goes away, everything goes away. And something we all take for granted. It is. And, mo- and most, most media... It's not that there's a conspiracy. Most media just doesn't care about it, and it's not important to them. Mm-hmm. So they don't even talk about most of the cases that are going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, hear, you've heard about H- Well, I'll give you an example. Um, you've heard about HHS regulations because mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church and all this. Right. But how many people here knew that yesterday we filed a lawsuit on behalf of Criswell College against the Obamacare HHS mandates? Maybe 10 hands. I mean, it wasn't reported very widely, yeah. uh, and yet here's a huge religious freedom case uh, with a, a major institution right here in town. It's just not nothing. It's nothing not important uh, to to the you know to the secular media. Uh, whereas, I mean, what's going on with those cases? There's now 29 of those cases across the country. Hmm. The federal government is ordering. They're ordering religious institutions to affirmatively engage in actions that violate their faith. That has never happened in this country. Is that you will do this. You will do this action that you consider immoral and unbiblical. Yeah. And, uh, and they're saying, no, we won't. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it's historic what's going on with these lawsuits. And uh, it cro- again, it crosses all boundaries to... Uh, the Catholic bishops that all came together, they're, they're conservative Catholic bishops, and they're very liberal Catholic bishops. They're people who are much more Democrat. They're people Republican. But on this, they're all together. They said, this has to stop. We can never allow this. Mm. Uh, so those are the kind of things that are huge, but they're really not that huge in the secular media's mindset. I want to talk about another case that you're recently involved in had to do just locally here with the cheerleaders. <clears throat> who um, held up the banners, but the football team would break through and they'd have uh, verses, Bible verses on the right. banners. Tell us a little bit about that case and kind of what was behind that. Um, well, these cheerleaders, these are sweet <clears throat> girls. Uh, this summer, they they were just kind of tired of, you know, mash, the, uh, kill the other team, mash them, all this. And they thought, what can we do that's uplifting? Um, and, of course, they immediately thought, well, the thing that I consider most uplifting is stuff I learned from the Bible. Hmm. And so they started thinking, yeah, why don't we do a banner that says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and you, know, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And uh, so they did this on their, and on their banners. And uh, everybody loved it. Everybody. I mean, they th- and their goal was not just to encourage their team, but even the other team. Hmm. And uh, all the other teams loved it. But uh, all of a sudden, the school gets a letter from a group out of Wisconsin, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And uh, then the next thing you know, the superintendent's announcing over the loudspeaker that any student who uh, uh, has Scripture on any signs at the football game is going to be punished. 
And uh, so, you know, from a group from Wisconsin who's yeah, who's who yeah. you know is is many states there. away. Well, we uh, were contacted. Well, we we got in there fairly quickly because we only had forty eight hours before the next football game, and uh, we got a, a temporary restraining order. Um, look, uh, these cheerleaders. They're not a part of a school club. They don't get credit for this. Uh, the, the banners, the ink, everything is stuff they pay for. They decide the messages. Their, their sponsor is not even a school teacher or anybody. Um, when you can engage in speech in this country, that means you can engage in religious speech or secular speech. Mm-hmm. Religious speech is not the new pornography mm-hmm. that can't be expressed in public. And for the government to punish religious speech or threaten religious speech is religious discrimination. It violates free speech. It violates free exercise of religion. It violates the Constitution. So we went in, and the judge issued a restraining order and said, you will not tell these cheerleaders or threaten these cheerleaders. They are protected by me from you, the school. And uh, and so they got up, and they did their banners. And... Uh, what I love about this is, and we're not done. We've gotten two injunctions so far, but we still have to go to trial. There's still a, we still got stuff left. And these, these cheerleaders are great. Uh, this little, uh, this little African American cheerleader who's one of our, she's just so outspoken. She reminds you of Gabby, the, the Olympic, the Olympic girl. gymnast. Cute as she can be, very articulate, shared the gospel on the stand. Um, uh, and, uh, it's just great. Uh, and, and, but what I love about them is, I mean, they weren't looking to cause all this ruckus. Um, that little town has 2,100 people in it. The last I looked, they have 50,000 Facebook fans on their Facebook page. Mm. Um, and they have people all over the country that are are sending in, hey, look what we're doing. Hmm. Even a group of pastors said, you know, we had let prayer slip away in our community from a lot of our public events, but because of what you've done, you've emboldened us, and we're about to change that in so, our community. So, Kelly, I want to jump on that real quick. Um, I feel like there's such a... Um, there's such bad information on, out there about... Um, what religious liberties we do have, it, it's almost as if those who believe the Bible have been misinformed or believe because of some group in Wisconsin that that they aren't allowed to have a banner or to say a prayer. I mean, what does prevent two students from gathering together before lunch and saying a prayer before a meal? What what does prevent me from, as a student in a in a high school, looking at a friend and inviting them to church or? I mean, just speak to that. What are those religious liberties, and what are the ones that you see most Christians unaware of? And just, or uh, what lies are they believing that are being taken away from them? Well, our our focus at Liberty Institute was sort of three areas: uh, religious liberty in our schools, uh, for our churches, and throughout the public arena. And they're all under a pretty severe attack right now. Um, I would say the schools. Uh, I'd say we're. We're, we're a threat away from having religion just completely banned in our schools. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it's getting. Um, in churches, uh, when I started 24 years ago, uh, the idea of representing a church would have been a joke. I would have said that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Now we get another church every week. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, as this church knows, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, the church do. I was at yesterday, we had to represent them at one point. We've had to represent this church. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, last week it was a small African-American church that was told they couldn't increase the size of their sanctuary. Um, 
in this city, they had a regulation that said uh, you have to get permission of 60% of the city before you can do that. But it's only if you're a church. If you're a strip joint, you don't have to get that permission. If you're a bar, if you're, you know, mm. it's only churches. Yeah. And so, the, you know, these attacks are, are much worse. Now, in the school, there, we had a case last year with a valedictorian who was told that if she mentioned God in her valedictory address, that she would actually be put in jail. Um, and this was by the federal judge who told, who, who issued this in his order. We ended up getting that reversed at the Court of Appeals. She got up, she gave her valedictory address, she acknowledged Christ, and in fact her last line was that she thanked God that she lived in a country where she was free. Um, but after that, we thought, you know, let's do something, and uh, we called it the Angela Project, and what we did is we sort of encapsulated a lot of the different rights that, that kids have at school to live out their faith. To, to, to start clubs, to do all kinds of positive things. And we put those into, into a package and we called it our, um, our Angela project. And we had a kit available for every kid at the start of the school mm-hmm. where they could get it online through social media, whatever, and just have that and know here are all the rights you have. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's, it's out there. It's just a matter of getting the word out to people. Right. Um, to know what their rights are and to exercise those rights because, we have so much more freedoms. And I tell you that probably one of the biggest groups of people um, that and the biggest problem we have is self-censorship of people. And that's how Satan works, intimidation and fear and right. just trying to silence people. And the people that are probably the greatest victims of that are pastors. Hmm. I mean, I, I speak at a lot of pastors groups and things, and I just try to tell them, We've got volunteer attorneys all over the country that would love to represent you if anybody ever tries to tell you you can't say what the Lord wants you to say. Hmm. So I just want you to know, do what God wants you to do, and we got your back. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it would be a real ministry to these attorneys if they could have your back. Hmm. So, you know... Go and cause trouble, you know. <laughs> Stand for the word, speak You've the truth. You've talked to Todd a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and but that's the problem with a lot of the pastors that we talk to is they've because they they're not sure they they censor themselves. Sure. And I was like, don't ever censor yourself from what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's a famous uh, uh, story of when Martin Emuller, um was uh, was in prison in Hitler's Germany. You know, he's a, a very outspoken pastor who spoke the truth. And one of the uh, ministers came in to visit him and said, Martin, why are you in here? Mm-hmm. And he said, the question is why you aren't in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's sort of the, the issue. We just need to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we live in a country where we're free right now. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to, to have the courage to, to live out those freedoms the more we live them out, the less chance people are going to be able to take them away. So let me, let me pitch out a hot topic to you, one that's uh, controversial out there. I'd love to, for you to speak to, and that's the whole uh, issue of abortion. So for some people, this is the single issue upon which <clears throat> they will base their vote. Is that a good idea? Um, yeah, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier about priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can't think of anything any higher on my priority list. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of scriptures on uh, the spilling of innocent blood and mm-hmm. participating in that. 
and God's disdain for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's proverbs about you know uh, uh, doing nothing while people are being led away to slaughter, mm-hmm. and it says, "But you say, but I didn't know." Mm-hmm. It said, "God knows your heart." Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I see that, I think, boy, if that's not meant for this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think, you know, you have to look at all the issues. Um, but that's one of them, and it's a pretty important one. Uh, because, I mean, again, people might say, hey, look, the next, I'm electing this position, uh, even the president, but even further down, I'm electing this position, they're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, number one, the president might appoint the justice that, does overturn. Uh, yeah, so, you know, but down uh, d- down about, there's still other, there's a lot of other things. There's uh, there's things like uh, the Mexico City policy, mm-hmm. uh, which is, um, you know, under past presidents, for instance, we haven't used taxpayer money to do any sort of abortion activity overseas. Um, well, that was, you know, that's that was changed. That's we have been exporting abortion with taxpayer money. So there are a lot of those kind of things that do affect those lives, mm-hmm. even if you don't overturn um, Roe v. Wade. So, so I think that's a really important issue, and I do think that it's, it's got to be up towards the top uh, as one of the ones because it's about innocent life, and it's something that we should take real seriously. So respond, Kelly, to the whole idea that a woman should have a right to be able to choose. Well, I think women, I mean, everybody should have a right to choose, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's a matter of what they choose. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they can't choose to uh, take the life of another human being, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and that's, that's the issue of abortion. Um, and again, you know, the, the, the process, even if Roe v. Wade's overturned someday, and you know, who knows if it will be, um, guess what happens when Roe v. Wade's overturned? Hmm. It goes back to the states, and they get to decide. Hmm. So I think a lot of people think, well, it's over. No, it's not over. It just begins. Then, then it's like, well, how do you argue this? You know, are you are you ready to talk about this issue? Are you ready to win a a public debate on how we, what kind of policy we should have on this? So um, it, it's it's an issue that people need to be you know more conversant with and ready to talk about um, and. It's something that never should have been foisted upon the American people. It was done by an activist judicial decision. It was wholly inappropriate for the court to say that this was a constitutional right. It's not in the Constitution. Everybody knows that. Mm. You can read the Constitution. There's nothing about a right to an abortion. In fact, um, when the Constitution was passed, most states had laws making it criminal. Mm. So the idea that the founders put this in the Constitution is just a lie. Mm. And, And most people know that. Um, but that's kind of how this got thrust into into such a controversy. Issues over two thirds of the states had laws against it when uh, Roe v. Wade was handed down by the Supreme Court. Um, I'm 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 very concerned that the same thing might be about to happen within the next year on marriage. Mm-hmm. That's what I was that about the to Supreme ask you Court is probably going to get a case here real soon uh, on the Defense of Marriage Act. And they're going to be asked to say that there is a right to homosexual so-called marriage in the Constitution. Again, the founders didn't put that in the Constitution. It's not in there. Read it, you know, maybe your invisible decoder ring can find it, you know, but everybody else knows it's not in there. Um, This is not what courts do. It's, it's, it's a misuse of the court. It's a misuse of power. 
uh, and I understand it's well-intentioned. They think, well, I'm going to do something good, so I'm going to use my power. But that is not the role of the courts. That should go through the legislative process. That should be debated. That's a matter of public policy. The people should make those decisions. And um, that's what's happening around the country. And we've got four, four uh, states voting on this on Tuesday. But the court very well might take that out of the democratic process and force it on everybody, which is a horrible thing to do for the country. Mm. Um, and uh, I hope they don't do that. Um, mm. And a good friend of mine will probably be arguing that case, uh, Paul Clement. He's a former Solicitor General of the United States and a good Christian guy. Um, and uh, he was hired by the U.S. House to represent uh, the U.S. House in all the Defense of Marriage Act cases. And so there's a probability that he'll be the one to argue that case within the next year, most likely. Kelly, what practical difference will it make if the government does legislate gay marriage? Oh, gosh. Um, well, there's a lot of levels. Um, the immediate thing uh, that you see quickly is, of course, religious freedom. Um, mm. Take Massachusetts. Um, when the government says there's now no difference between a man and a woman and two men or two women mm-hmm. or whatever, then for you to say there's a difference, you're now engaging in discrimination. Mm. Um, and so that's one of the things they have to teach and force through the public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the first cases you saw of this was out of Massachusetts where one family said, well, our child, we don't, we don't agree with that. So our child is not going to be a part of the, you know, the indoctrination session that you're doing on this. And the school said, you don't really have a choice. Mm. And the federal court upheld it, said there was no right of the parent to take their children out of that. So this is the, the new tolerance, yeah. is you'll believe this. This is, this is the new moral position of the government, and you can't, you know, thwart it. So, I mean, number one, you do that. Ultimately, though, the long term, you can look in uh, places like uh, Denmark and Sweden that have done this, is as a, a, a dilapidation of the family, of marriage as an institution of respect and sanctity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last last I saw, Denmark had over 60% uh, of the children were now being born out of wedlock. Um, because if you're an irresponsible male, you think, well, males aren't really required. Yeah. If I get somebody pregnant, I can move on. Um, and, uh, look, I've had people on the radio. We have a radio show we do every once uh, on Fridays I'm usually on. And people call in and say, well, you know, what's the deal with marriage? And I'm in a lot of these debates and a lot of these things and I, I, with these people. I finally say, the real problem is marriage is a man and a woman for a reason. Mm. You know, I mean, from a selfish standpoint from the state, it produces future citizens. It provides every child with both a male and female role model. Uh, it brings the sexes together, which is a good thing. Mm. It, it, we go through a long list of these things. So now you are dislodging every reason for marriage. So tell me what your new definition is. Yeah. And the best they can come up with is if they struggle is love and commitment and the immediate follow-up is so it can be five people well it can be seven people if we're going to redefine it then the answer to that is yes some of them are honest with you and say yes Mm. and so what you've done is you haven't redefined marriage you've destroyed any coherent definition Mm -hmm. so there is no sort of standard and that's why you see the family and marriage uh really began to deteriorate and why you see things like in Sweden and Denmark and et cetera. So the longer term impact is very damaging. 
and the government ends up taking over all these roles uh, because the family starts to dissipate uh, in society because it's it's not being held up as something unique and special anymore. So I know we only have a, a minute left here. If you're going to pick up uh, pick up three issues that are most important for assessing the candidates in this particular presidential election, what, what are those issues and and why? Well, I mean, I you know I think uh, I would start. I don't know if this is an issue, but I would start with character. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, because you know I saw a debate. Uh, Back when all the Clinton thing was going on, you know, with Monica Lewinsky yes. and everything, there was a fascinating debate I saw on TV uh, between uh, one of the surrogates for Clinton and Cal Thomas, who was representing the other time. And the argument they were making is, look, this, this is morality, has nothing to do with the position of the president. And Cal Thomas said something, and I thought, boy, he really nailed that. He said, if you can't trust a man in the promise he makes in his church in front of all of his closest of friends to his wife and everyone else, then you can't trust anything he says. Mm-hmm. And so I think character comes first. If you can't trust what a candidate for the office, whatever the office is, says, then, you know, you've got a real problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to look at character, uh, number one. But then I think you've got to look at where they stand on, you know, the issues that are going to have the greatest impact. And so... If I had to pick, you know, you give me two left, <laughs> if I do the first one on character, I would say, um, you know, at the national level for president, I would say the two I would pick would be uh, life, because mm-hmm. to me that tends to roll through everything else. Mm-hmm. It tends to impact um, a lot of other issues and how you see things. Um, but the other one would be uh, uh, just uh, spending and mm-hmm. uh, the economy, because... Uh, if, if people hadn't read a book uh, on this, I'd say a really good book to read right now is the one that uh, Senator Tom Coburn uh, recently wrote. Called I think it's called The Debt Bomb, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he writes a scenario of kind of where we're going and how quickly we're about to get there. And it's immoral to spend our children and our grandchildren's money so quickly that we might even destroy the country before they even get a chance to even have a country Mm -hmm. Um, if you look at what's happening with the money uh, we went from and by the way I include President Bush and part of this problem I mean Mm -hmm. he caused a lot of problems too he he gave he he handed over a 10 trillion dollar deficit to President Obama and now it's a 16 trillion dollar deficit and uh, many people think we're now to where our debt equals our GDP, which is most, many people think you can't return from that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if we can. Uh, but it's going to take some pretty serious medicine. I don't know if any of the candidates are really willing, because ultimately I don't know if the people are willing to accept the medicine. It'd be unpopular to do what yeah. needs to be done. And so, so, but I would say that has to be, um, that has to be one of the other issues. So I'd, I would, to me, they're all moral issues, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, and there's tons of certainly biblical statements about uh, these issues and with regard to debt and spending other people's money and uh, uh, all that kind of thing. So I, I would put both those at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, the Supreme Court justices, uh, as I mentioned, would be really important as well because those affect all of these issues. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you get a justice and it affects 20 different issues. Um, that you might really care about. And so 
with it being four four one, it's kind of teetering and and something's going to happen there. I think it's good. Well, Kelly, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you all for being here.